Let's continue to dig in on our sermon series, uh, Life in the Spirit. And it's good to have our Falls Creekers back, man. Great to see a section full. And as we get started this morning, I want to talk to all the men in the church. That includes the guys in the green shirts today. Uh, we're getting ready for our next Men's Momentum on the 28th. Mike Bateman, who's in this service, you'll hear from him at the end of the service, will be speaking that night. He used to be the executive director at Jesus House and now is executive director at Jeremiah House. You'll be hearing about his message to us about how we can live in the spirit and stay free from bondage. It'll be a powerful night. We also have Scott Swigger, who'll be bringing the worship. We've never added worship on Men's Momentum. We'll be doing that this time. And then we're growing your dinner right now in Piedmont. It's not coming from Crest or Homeland. It's being grown out in the pastures of Piedmont. We're having barbecue brisket, homegrown, just for you men in the church. So I need you to sign up this week, get on the app, uh, put it down on a communication card, and I want our youth guys to be a part of that as well. Let's pack this place out on the 28th. Well, let's get into our sermon series. One of two things is true in your life. You're either living in the flesh or you are living in the spirit. Last week, if you were here, I had you break out a chart and grade yourself on are you gentle, are you loving, are you peaceful, are you joyful, are you patient, are you in self-control or does sin control you, uh, are you a person who is kind or gentle, and all those grades as you grade out, that will tell you if you're living in the spirit or if you're living in the flesh. Well, this uh, just yesterday I decided I'd test my oldest child, my son. Uh, he's the one that let me borrow his Harley a few weeks ago, and it didn't go so well. All right, I wiped it out and wrecked his Harley, so I thought I'd try his new truck. He just got a truck, and so I called him. I said, hey, son, can I borrow your truck? I'm sure he had to pray about it for just a moment, but he let us borrow it. We went and did some things. I waited about an hour until I had uh, had his truck for a significant amount of time, and I dialed him up on the phone just to mess with his head, and he picked up the phone. He said, what's up, Dad? I said, well... And I was sounding really down, really discouraged, really disappointed. I said, son, do you have insurance on this truck? <laughs> and he sat there. And he sat there. And to his credit, I'm very proud. I, I, I believe in that moment he was as much in the spirit as he possibly could be, uh, thinking his dad had now not only taken out his Harley, but his new truck that he had just purchased. And then I reminded him, I don't wreck everything in life, just your one vehicle. And it was his test. Do you see, how we respond to life is an indicator whether we're walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. Now, after he hung up the phone, I'm sure he quickly found himself in the flesh. But while he was on the phone with me, he acted at least halfway spiritual. Well, let me take you in the word again and remind you of the reality of your heart. Go to Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the soils. As we take a look, uh, we find that uh, there's a parable given by Jesus to teach us through a physical example, spiritual truths about his kingdom. He is the sower and the gospel is the seed. Uh, the soil he'll be talking about is your heart. As we take a look at it, it says, that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. A large crowd gathered to him and he got into a boat, he sat down, and he began to teach. And he spoke many things to them in parables saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places. Now, last week we talked about the hardened heart. 
We talked about that pathway that was so hardened by foot traffic, by everybody walking in that certain path, that it became so rock-solid hard that the seed could not penetrate the hardness of the soil. We talked about there are things that we let happen in our lives that harden our hearts, that keep us from receiving what God wants to plant in our hearts. And now we get to a second kind of soil. It's called the rocky soil. And what we're going to learn from these parables is that there can be no fruit coming from our lives unless we are rooted. And we cannot be rooted in God. The fruit of God's Spirit can't come alive in us if we're not rooted in Him. And we cannot be rooted unless that seed takes root in fertile soil. And so the question today is, what's the condition of your heart? Uh, have you allowed things to harden your heart? Or do you find there are things, there's some rocky soil going on in your story and in your testimony? Drop down to verse 20, and we get the explanation of the rocky soil, the difference in this kind of soil. It sounds just like the hardened path, but this is different. He says, for the one, verse 20, the one whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. This picture that Jesus gives may not make a lot of sense to you, but it does if you lived in that day and in that place. You see, they would do their best to grow their crops and to take care of the land. They would find these hard paths where feet had walked, but then they would till up the land and they would plant their crops. When the seed would fall on that hardened path, it wouldn't take root, it wouldn't grow. But then there were certain parts of the field that looked fertile. They had tilled them up, they had prepared the soil, they planted the seed, and quickly they started to see it germinate. All of a sudden it starts popping up out of the soil. And at first, unless you know what you're doing, a farmer starts to think, man, this is going to be the greatest crop I've ever grown. But what they don't know is that underneath, right below where they were able to till to, there was limestone. Uh, rock formations underneath that soil and when that seed would try to grow root it would hit that limestone and it would push it upwards and it would look like it's going to bear fruit but then the sun the scorching heat it wasn't rooted it wasn't deep and it tried to bear fruit but the fruit was burned away by the heat of the day there are some hearts that could be in this room that you've allowed God to do a work in your heart. Uh, you've got some topsoil, if you will. God's word has been planted. It could be at Falls Creek even. God got your attention and, and that seed is rooted. But if you're not careful, there can be an issue we're going to see today, that limestone rock bed that keeps that from bearing great fruit in your life. Well, why do we need a heart transplant? Hold your place in Matthew. We're going to come back to it. Ezekiel chapter 36. If you want to see this in scripture, go to Ezekiel 36 and verse 22. Ezekiel prophesied about the day and age in which you live. A day that would come on this planet where people would have the opportunity to have a new heart, new soil, soil that could receive the word of God. Verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name's sake. If you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see 
a people who were called out to be a testimony to this earth of a holy God. A people who were to worship him, to love them with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to make the love of God known to the pagan nations. And Israel, much like many of us, would have good days and also a lot of bad days. Days that they would seek to live a holy testimony and other days where they lived an unholy testimony. And the Lord steps in and prophesies through Ezekiel and says, there's a new day coming. There's a day that I'm going to vindicate my holy name which you have profaned among the nations. Drop down to verse 25. But know this, there will come a time and I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. God talks about how he would be a God of forgiveness, a God who would redeem them, a God who would change them through his grace. But look at verse 26. And moreover, I'm going to put it up on the screen, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove that heart of stone and I will give you this new heart of flesh. God was prophesying and reminding us we can't fix the soil. I tried to when I was a junior in high school. I thought, man, if I just start going to church with Cammie, I can start doing things. I'll quit going to parties. I'll do this. And I thought I could fix my soil, my heart. And my heart was technically in the right place. The problem was my heart was dead. I was spiritually dead. I needed a new heart. I didn't need a new Sunday school lesson, although the Word of God is what started breaking through the limestone. It's what started breaking through the hardness of my heart. And it's when I finally surrendered to God and said, God, I need a new heart. Save me. And I asked him to become the Lord, not of my head, but of my heart. Verse 27, he says, so I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. He was reminding them that you've proven that when you try to do it in your own strength, you try to be a people caught up in religion, you still live unholy lives. You can't do it in your own strength. But I will put my spirit in you, and I will give you a new heart that allows you now not to walk in your flesh, but to walk a transformed life in the spirit. So go back to Matthew 13, where you're holding your place. Look again at verse 20, and let's go back to the parable. We need a new heart, and we need to walk in that new heart, walk life in the spirit the spirit that God has placed in you if you know him as your Lord and your Savior but if you're not careful you can allow things to rob you of what God wants to do in your life he says for the one whose soil is like rocky places is the one who hears the word immediately receives it with joy and I'm not trying to rob anybody at Falls Creek from what God spoke to you this last week but I do know this the enemy wants to rob that from you the enemy wants to put something in your heart, something in your life, that you had a joyful moment at camp, but now you're living life again. You've come back home to old friends, to old ways, to old uh, environments. And if you're not careful what God began at Falls Creek, the enemy can try to steal away if he can keep rocky soil in your heart. So what is that rocky soil? What is the issue? Verse 21 says, yet he has no firm root in himself, it's only temporary and when affliction comes when the heat comes of the day the issues of what you face 
and life gets tougher and it's a hard issue of life there's a tendency to fall away to fall back to the old rather than living in the new so what was Jesus pointing to what is it that robs us this rocky soil turn to Ephesians go to Ephesians now in chapter 3 I'm going to show you something that's powerful that Paul was praying for the believers in Ephesus the same prayer he prayed for them in Ephesus is the same prayer he'd pray for me and for you and it's a powerful prayer of what they needed to understand because they were in Christ they had eternal life but they didn't know how to live the abundant life once you understand eternal life is found through a relationship with Christ it is placing our faith in Christ and Christ alone he comes to live in our hearts and we are forgiven of our sin and we become a brand new creature a brand new creation but Jesus also said not only would we have eternal life but Jesus said I came that you might have abundant life and so there are a lot of people who have Jesus living in their heart but they're not living the life they have in Christ abundantly we're gonna see a difference here Paul prays for the Ephesians not just to have a destiny towards heaven a destination but to experience abundant life look at what he prayed he told him he said for this reason I bow my knees before the father what's he speaking of this is why I pray for you and this is what I'm praying for you I pray to my father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man Paul begins to point them to this very thing we've been studying in this parable the issue of your heart and you see if you could fix it Jesus would have never had to die for it if we could have cleaned it up Jesus would have never had to pay for it we could have just done it in our own strength or in our religious ways doing good rather than bad but Jesus came to fix it all and in that he not only forgives us of our sins but now he gives us a power in the inner man Paul says I'm praying that you would be strengthened not to do better not to have more willpower but that you'd experience that power that God has placed in you watch this verse 17 so that Christ may dwell in your hearts I want you to underline that phrase in verse 17 that Christ would dwell in your hearts today those of you who are here sitting in a chair you are dwelling in this place you are inhabiting here by your presence your presence here those who are online you're dwelling somewhere watching this through media but you're in that place dwelling here Paul reminds them God the holy God of the universe the God that we have a tendency to put on a throne way out there in heaven and he is but he's also the God who dwells in me that blows me away it's hard to imagine hard to fully comprehend that a holy God lives inside of me for those who know Christ it's not a head knowledge it's a changed life and a heart knowledge and Paul said I'm praying you'd be strengthened with the power that is in you that power that dwells in your heart but he goes on look at verse 18 I pray that you'd be able to comprehend with all the Saints what is the breadth the length the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God what I would say to you my observation after 30 some odd years of ministry is that uh, most that have attended a Baptist church I'll just pick on us Baptists 
It could be on any church that you attend within this land in Western culture that many have experienced verse 17, but not verse 19. What do I mean? They've experienced the need for God to dwell in their hearts, to forgive them, to save them from their sin. That we have asked him to come and dwell in our hearts. So if you look at this, I hope this will work. We shall see. There we go. This jar vessel is a picture of you and me when we're born in this world. We're created and crafted by God, but there's an emptiness, there's a void, there's a vacuum. We're spiritually dead, and we try to put all kinds of stuff in here to try to pack it in, to try to make life more joyful, more meaningful. Have you ever said this? I just want to be more happy, and so we try happy stuff. And we plant little things that the world says makes us happy, happy, happy. And all we find is we're more empty, more empty, more empty. And then I pray you've come under the preaching of the gospel where you've heard that there's only one solution. Jesus said, I will be the living water. You'll thirst no more and you could have that living water in me and we come to, in you. And he, we come to realize my emptiness can only be filled by the God who created me. And so we ask God to come into our lives and he, fill, he, he comes and he dwells in our hearts as we place our faith in him. And I would tell you, that's a picture of the average believer today in this country. I pray not in this church, but the possibility is this is the picture of most believers. Christ dwells in our hearts. But what's coming from our life? We have eternal life because Christ dwells in us, but we are not living life in the Spirit, that power that's now in us. You see, the difference is Jesus is in me. All of God is in me, but here's the problem. I'm not letting God flow from me. I know verse 17, but I'm missing out on verse 19. I got Christ dwelling in me, but you know what's coming out of me? This man who's saved, this man who's heading towards heaven, the same stuff that was coming out of me before Christ. I'm not very gentle at times. I'm patient all the time, but other than that, all these other ones I really struggle with. I have a hard time being peaceful. I have a, those are the issues of our flesh. But look at verse 19. We get to verse 19, he says, And I hope not only that Christ would dwell in your hearts, but I also want you to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled up to the fullness of God. I want you to underline that last phrase. That you would be filled up. God can be dwelling in you, but not flowing from you. And so what does Paul pray for in verse 19? He says, I pray not only that he dwell in you, but that he would fill you up. There's a difference in God dwelling in us and God filling us. And there are so many people, God is dwelling in them, they know the Lord, does anybody know if an apple pencil still works after being wet? I pray so. But watch this. Here's a difference now. Instead of God just dwelling in me and me heading for heaven, now if I let God fill me with him, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what's going to come out of my life? As life gets tough, as things get rocky, as it gets difficult in my life, what is coming out of me? It's not anger. It's the peace of the Holy Spirit. 
You know what's coming out of me? All of God living in me. It's only carpet, people. Don't worry. It's all right. I pray. What's coming out of you? If all you're letting is God dwelling in you and you're hanging on to your ticket to heaven, that's a sad thing. God didn't come to live in your heart just so you've got a ticket to heaven. God came to live in your heart to change your life and to change your world. And that cannot happen until you first say, God, I don't need you just to dwell in me. God, I need you to fill me this moment, every moment of every day. And when life gets hard, when it gets hot, whenever that situation is boiling over in your life, you don't have to respond in the flesh. You can respond with the inner strength, the power of the Holy Spirit. As you say, Spirit of God, fill me. Matter of fact, the Bible says you're not to be filled with the issues of flesh, filled with wine or other things that would be your power source. There's a bigger power. There's a greater influence. You don't have to be under the influence of alcohol or a pill or a drug or an ego or pride or anything else. You can be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He said, no, be ye filled with the Spirit. That word in the Greek means to be refilled and refilled and refilled because God every moment of every situation has to fill this boy up or guess what will fill me up? My flesh. Don't live settling for verse 17. Let God take you to what it means to not only dwell in you but to fill you with his Holy Spirit. So what is it what is it that would keep us from experiencing God's word and God's power in our life? Turn over to Matthew 13. He, he, he continues to teach. He's just shared all the parables. And it says in verse 53, drop down to verse 53, he now gives an application to the teaching, a real life story. So when he finished teaching the parables, verse 53, he came to his hometown, he began teaching in their synagogues. He shows up to his hometown, he's been preaching in other places, lives have been changed, people had fertile soil to receive what God had for them, uh, their lives have been transformed by the power of God, and he gets to his hometown. And he begins to teach, and they all begin to scratch their heads, and they say, whoa, 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 what are we seeing? What, what, what just happened? It's kind of like me coming back to PCBC. It's kind of weird to see a new associate pastor who used to be a part of the youth group of this church. It's kind of weird just to come back and see that happen. Uh, Jesus comes back to his hometown. They watched him grow up. They saw him playing in his dad's carpenter shop. And they've uh, grown up with all of his brothers and his sisters. They've seen his family. They know his background. And they're like, he's just one of us. And we've been out with all of his brothers and sisters. There's nothing special about them. Who does this guy think he is? They had a hard time believing that Jesus was who Jesus said he was. And as you go on, listen to this, verse 57, they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. In verse 58 it says, he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. What was it that handcuffed God in that moment? What was it that kept them from experiencing what all other communities had experienced? It was the issue of their heart. 
their hearts could not believe. Their hearts were in bondage to unbelief. It's the very thing that will stop you from receiving what God has for you. The spirit of unbelief. Go to Mark chapter 9 quickly. Mark chapter 9 and verse 15. If you want to get out before 1 o'clock today, say, thank you, Jesus. Let's see if he does it. Here we go. Verse 15. How many of you believe? Verse 15. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed. They began running up to greet him. A whole different heart response. This is another place in Scripture, another point in time. Jesus has showed up, and the crowds were enthused. And he asked them, what is it you're discussing among yourselves? And one of the crowd answered and said, hey, we, we brought my son, possessed with a spirit, which makes him mute, seizes him, slams him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they couldn't do it. So already, the enemies bring in a seed of unbelief. They're starting to doubt that even Jesus could do anything about it. What is it in your life? What's that limestone that's laying down under the surface that nobody else can see? Your parents don't even know about it. You may not even be aware of it. But there's something that's happened in life, something you've experienced, or some lie the enemy has brought your way that he has laid underneath that soil. Oh, you'll, you're, you're in the Word. You've been to Falls Creek. You are in church today. You're receiving the Word. But there's something still there, this rocky layer that's blocking it from really getting rooted in your heart. I love the testimony we heard in the Falls Creek video. That finally that rock is broken out, and now there's genuine repentance, true heart change, because they let Jesus be real in their story. So it says here that Jesus engages, and he asks the Father, how long has this been happening to him? It's in verse 21. And he responded, it's been happening since childbirth. I'm sure it was easy for the dad to say this is how he's always been we've tried everything that we know we even let your disciples get a shot at it doctors haven't been able to help us therapy hadn't helped us praying hadn't helped us your own disciples couldn't touch it and now you see him starting to drift into a spirit of unbelief and so Jesus engages him and he said it's happened from childhood. It is often thrown him both in the fire and the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, you can? Really? Doesn't sound like you believe I can do anything here. You're just grasping for straws. And Jesus said to him, all things are possible. Hear that. All things are possible. Yeah, all things to everybody else, but not me. All things are possible, except for those who take this all the way back to childbirth. Oh yeah, all things are possible. That preaches good from a pulpit preacher. But what about this? This has been going on for decades in my life. All of us got a yeah, but. But how do you deal with that limestone? How do you deal with that rocky soil that's keeping you from receiving all God has for you? Learn from this daddy in verse 24. Look at what he did. Immediately. Key word. What next week? 
Middle schoolers, it's easy to say, well, I'm going to wait till Falls Creek. I'm going to get serious about God. No, no, no. <laughs> right now. You deal with God now. When God's speaking to you, you deal with God then, now. You don't put it off. You don't wait later. Immediately, the Father cried out. I'm going to challenge you in just a moment to cry out to God. To cry out beyond your unbelief. To cry out whether it makes sense or not, or no matter how many times you've cried out before. Don't you know this father had cried out day after day after day for his son to be healed? But he didn't stop. And in that moment, he cried out and he prayed this, declared this, I do believe, I do believe. He had to change his perspective. He could keep looking to the past. He could keep looking to the excuses of why he couldn't believe. Or in that moment, he could look to Jesus. And maybe some of you right now, you've got to do that. You've got to look to Jesus and say, God, I'm giving it, uh, God, right now, right now, immediately. Change my heart. And look at what he prayed. Help my, help my what? Unbelief. Unbelief is the thing that robbed Jesus' hometown. Unbelief was what was robbing this father and his son. And unbelief will still kill and destroy in your life as well. Would you be willing right now to cry out to God? Say, God, help my unbelief. Let's pray about it with every head bowed and every eye closed. Two questions. Based on what we've seen in Scripture, first question is this Does Christ dwell in you? Not your head, your heart. Has there been a time in your life where you've professed that you're a sinner, that you're separated from God in your sin, and you've surrendered your heart to the Lord? You say, I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me. What do you mean, surrender my heart? I didn't understand it at first either. But then there came a time, just like happened at Falls Creek for five this last week, and maybe for somebody here this morning, God's showing you that you need Christ to forgive you of your sin, and you need to receive him into your heart. You say, how do I do that? The Bible says you have to invite him in. Just like you'd invite somebody into your home, if they were knocking on the door, you have a choice. You can leave them on the outside, or you can invite them in to dwell to dwell there inside your home yes there's a God of heaven yes there's a God who died on the cross for you yes there's a God who can forgive your sin but you cannot know that forgiveness until you invite him in to dwell in your heart your inner man if that's you right now you say I need that I need Jesus in me. Lord, save me. Just pray that to him. Say, Lord, I open the door of my heart. I invite you in. Save me. That was your prayer. God has just birthed you into the kingdom. You had soil to receive the word of God today. And we want you to do what Jesus challenged people to do. He said, if you will confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. You need to come to one of our staff when we stand. Come to one of them and say, man, I nailed it down today. I've got Jesus in my heart. And we'll do all the rest.
We'll pray with you. We'll help you take next steps. And we'll also share with the congregation. We'll do all the talking. You standing there will be the testimony. I'm now saved. For those who made a decision at Falls Creek, I'm going to encourage you to share that this morning. Uh, if you rededicated your life, if you gave your life to Christ, you surrendered to the ministry, I want you to come forward so we can know who you are and pray for you and thank God for what he did this last week. If you have another decision that God is putting on your heart in this moment, I want you to respond. But maybe there's a second question that needs to be asked. Christ dwells in you, but are you filled up to the fullness of God? Are you walking in the Spirit, or are you in the flesh? Maybe as we stand, some of you may need to fall on your knees, cry out to God and say, God, forgive me for just letting you dwell in me, but not fill me. God, right now, I ask that you would fill me with your Spirit. God, be my peace. God, be my joy. God, be my self-control. God, be my gentleness and kindness. God, I need you to live through me. Is that your prayer? Fall on your knees. Come to this altar. You do whatever you need to do to respond to God. Lord, be blessed in these moments, for we ask it in Jesus' name.